Hey gang, I'm Nikki LaCroce, and you're listening to Who the Fuck? A show that explores the power of human connection and the profound resilience of the human spirit through compassionate conversations that help you better understand yourself so you can live with the sense of peace, purpose, and joy that you deserve. Each episode offers a safe space for guests to share intimate details of their personal journey and lessons learned along the way as we all seek to answer life's most important question. Who the fuck am I? Hi, I'm Nikki LaCroce, and you're listening to Who the Fuck. On today's episode, I'm sharing the mic with Chuck Copenspire. And Chuck is self-proclaimed the anti-professional professional, also a sales coach and social media analyst who helps underrepresented entrepreneurs find their footing in business and help them charge what they're worth, which I think is a very, very important thing in the world these days when you look at wage gap discrepancies, a subject matter near and dear to my heart after working for large corporations. So welcome to the show, Chuck. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. So uh, we last spoke, we had talked about a variety of topics. You have an extremely interesting life that I would say is non-traditional in a lot of ways. Would you mind just sharing a little bit about yourself and then we can dive a bit more into sort of the entrepreneurial side of things and how you came to be where you are with your business now? Sure. Yeah, I guess um, in a broad context, I am a person who never stood a chance at fitting in. So I decided to go the opposite direction and just really see what I could get away with in this life <laughs> and really play with a lot of, what would you call it? Optimistic nihilism of if nothing matters, then I guess I'm wearing this today. And so that's really taken me to some bizarre places, some good, some bad. I'm also a parent. I am a person who lives with a fatigue disorder and navigates that every day. So there's a lot of lenses through which I view the world and that informs my work and also how I show up in community. And uh, yeah, I just want to make the world suck less, especially for people who it generally sucks for the most. <laughs> I think that's just a really great mission statement and what a way to lead the conversation. So um, something that we both have in common is that we've spent a decent amount of time for our careers in technology. So mm -hmm. we are no stranger to really the world of that at least for me sometimes soul crushing aggressive mm -hmm. like work till you burn out mentality expectations can be very high with a lot of shifting priorities and that in my experience can very much be somebody at the top with very little awareness of what you're actually doing arbitrarily dictating what priorities are and subsequently compromising both the employees and also the customer satisfaction so mm -hmm. From your experience, do you agree with that sentiment? And as you were in tech, were you thinking about being an entrepreneur? Because I feel like I had moments most of the time for about 15 years when I was like, I need to just work for myself. Mm -hmm. Well, I've definitely ebbed and flowed with working for myself over the last 10 years, probably about 50-50, honestly. So this is like my third or fourth stab at a business. But most recently, I had a stint as a technical support engineer at a couple different SaaS companies. And I would say the thing that hit me the most was that you said was as a technical support engineer, I was talking to the people who used our tools every day. And you would try to communicate that to the product leaders. And some product leaders really care what the customer thinks. And some product leaders are like, oh, the customers are stupid. I actually know what they need more than they do. And it's like, do you, do you though? And, you know, there's a lot of like politics and nepotism and all these things that play into leadership roles in tech spaces that people don't really talk about. But I think they really do in some ways, like tank the entire company by the wrong people being in the leadership positions. Two thoughts on that. The first one is just going to be the obvious, for example, Twitter. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and the other being as a product leader, because I, my career has been as a product manager in tech. And I agree with you hundred percent because oftentimes the hands that are doing are the people who are like, I care about this. I want the customers to feel like they're getting what they need. I'm working with a team of people who are helping gather the research so we can understand what it is that people need. And then you have people who might be a little higher up or potentially executive level, depending on the size of the company, or maybe not just big micromanagement companies saying, like you said, we know better, which in reality is just a really roundabout way of saying, 
this is our priority because we're trying to satisfy investors or some other component of the business rather than the purpose that the business is intended to serve, which is for the people who are using the product. So yeah. I think to your point, a lot of people don't see that. And so when I've worked for companies, I feel a great thing about this is now that I'm not at Amazon, I can talk about when I worked there and I, just remember having so many moments where people are like, oh, Amazon, they must like really have it together. Like it must just be so good. I was like, give me a fucking break. I was like, I, and I was working on the HR tech side of things. And I'm like, if Amazon was anything to me, it was an example of what not to do as a tech company. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I worked with amazing people on amazing teams, but that didn't matter because the priorities weren't set by us. There was mm -hmm. a complete lack of autonomy. And I think that's something that also inspires a lot of people particularly myself, I can speak to, to try to figure out a path for yourself in the entrepreneurial world, because you start to feel like you're lacking purpose and you're not able to have that autonomy to fulfill your potential. So you're sort right. of, being, it's being squandered in those moments. Or yeah, it's like sometimes you see something that is such a simple solution that you could execute and they won't let you mm -hmm. because of your title or your position. Like I have a background of 10 years in marketing. I was in a technical support position. They didn't listen to me about marketing things. And I was like, I'm a resource. And you're just like shutting the door in my face for what? For hubris, for ego. I'm trying to help your company because I care. That's exactly you know? what I was going to say too, right? Something that has changed dramatically and then the role that I took on when I left my last full-time job, I thought I was just going to dip out of tech entirely. And I stumbled into this company that has been really just an awakening for me. From I, I said the other day, to the VP who kept me on the hook in the most subdued way that it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like a hard sell. It was just kind of like, if you think it might be a fit for you, let's maybe talk about doing a contract work. And it was very engaging. And I said, you know, what this company has shown me is that it is possible for businesses to actually care about people. And I said, and mm -hmm. I, I lost that feeling that it was feasible because I've worked at large and small companies where the big ones you kind of expect to be a dime a dozen. The small ones, when you're like one of a couple hundred or a one of 50 and you feel like you can't get anything across the finish line, it's really deflating. And it's hard to feel connected to the work that you're doing when you don't have any ability to control the outcome, especially mm -hmm. like you said, when you know that that's right. So when things like these layoffs happen in the tech industry, people, I can speak for myself, you panic, you want to solve the problem immediately. You don't necessarily give yourself the time to understand what the circumstances and how you could benefit from that. Because I think we just all, at least most of us shift into that survival mode. How am I going to pay my bills? How am I going to get food on the table? What is it going to be? And so you had dealt with a layoff. I believe it was in June. Is that correct? <laughs> So can you share a little bit more about that experience and how you've gotten to where you are from that experience? Like I said, I was affected by layoffs in June. It was shortly after the economic turn, because before that we'd had a big party and we spent so much money and it was all rah, rah, rah. And then the next week it was kind of weird. And then the week after that, they laid off a ton of people. Was there writing on the wall that it felt like they were masking? It, you could tell. There was like, a, it went from being like so over the top joyous to just like, Hmm. Strangely quiet. And also like a couple times I got really just like, you know, like spiked down on like really like strangely punitive personal behavior mm -hmm. where I was like, I don't think you're okay. I think you need a break. You're taking this out on the wrong person. I think I have a three-year-old, so I'm used to that. Temperamental. <laughs> What's happening? Yeah. Do you need a cheese? Do you need some cheese? <laughs> um, so, you know, there was, there was some stuff where it just felt a little spooky. And then, but like you said, I, having been an entrepreneur before feeling sort of frustrated, having had some issues where they had encouraged me to become an advocate for uh, different ERGs there. And I was like, I'm queer, I'm autistic, I'm disabled. And I was like, I'll start groups for all these. And then if I would do any internal advocacy, it was not appreciated. I was re reprimanded pretty severely for asking people to not use flashing images because they hurt people who have sensory processing disorders or epilepsy. And I was 
made to apologize to a leader who I had asked not to use flashing images. And that was kind of when I was like, I'm assuming I can swear on this. Who the fuck? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, That was kind of when I was like, well, fuck, fuck you all. I was like, I'm too good for this. I don't need this. You know, I was feeling frustrated and I could see them making decisions I didn't agree with every day, not listening to me. Later after I left, they then implemented a bunch of the stuff that I said that they should do. By the way, check that's because once you're gone, you can't explain that that was your idea. Yeah, there was, I mean, there's a lot I'm salty about the situation. And they just did a second round of layoffs and laid off a ton more people, which was really like re-traumatizing, honestly, to see. Because they, I always talk about it like, it was like going on an amazing first date where a guy's like, yeah, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And we're going to, I have all, I have all this consent training and like, I'm a tantric, you know, practitioner, or whatever. You're like, wow, this is going to be great. And then you get in there and it's like consent violation, gaslighting, just it's a mess. You know, keywords are good, but everything on the inside, not so great. So when they laid me off, I was like, oh yeah. And so I, I posted on LinkedIn that I got laid off and some of my old coaching clients reached out and were like, oh, hey, do you want to coach me again? And I was like, okay. And then I applied for unemployment, got unemployment. And then Oregon State emailed me and was like, did you know, if you start a business, you can get all of your unemployment, keep everything you make, and you don't have to apply for jobs. And I was like, okay. Tell so, more. <laughs> so I did that. It was extremely easy. And then every single person since then who I've met that's been laid off in the five states that have this program, I have either sent them information or walked them through how to do this and have and created like video trainings. And can you, for the listeners, share which uh-huh. five states those are? Because I can't remember them off the top of my head. So in Oregon, it's called the SEA. I think it's Small Enterprise Assistance or maybe Self Employment Assistance, but they have versions of it in Oregon, New York, Wisconsin, Delaware, and New Hampshire. The Delaware one is the hardest to find. (laughs) I remember you telling me this on our intro call. It's sort of like they can check the box and say they have it, but they're not trying to promote it. Mm -hmm. But New York and Oregon, like hardcore are just like, we want you to start a business. Um, The other three, I had to really work for it and chase down the resources. And for me, if I have to chase down resources, I'm going to consolidate those. So I just did (laughs) in case anybody needs them. How did you get to the place where you realized, you know, I didn't just want this to be an improvement for my life because it's easy where I am, but I realized that there is this inherent benefit to consolidating and sharing this and giving people a sense of opportunity. I think part of it was I felt whenever something bad happens to me, I have CPTSD from my childhood anyway. So like whenever I learn something that makes PTSD less horrible to have, I want to tell everyone who has it because I have such intense lived experience of what that's like. So whenever I meet someone who has lived experience similar to previous suffering I've had, I just want to give them what I needed then. And I have no desire to gatekeep anything that can help a person out of a bad situation. And getting laid off sucks. It's terrifying, like you said. Oh, yeah. I had gotten, I mean, really, it was fired, but it was arbitrarily fired and without any sort of indication false statements about performance, et cetera. Now, granted at the time I had mentally checked out, but there was nothing definitive in the work that I was doing that anybody could have pointed to, to say that. And as it turns out, there was some surveillance happening at the company. Mm-hmm. So the boss was shady. Shocking. <laughs> it was a small agency with no overhead, like no HR. So it was one of those moments where like, I walked in, I couldn't get on a call because I was locked out of my computer and I go up mm-hmm. to the desk and I look at the the executive assistant who was there and I'm like, do you know what's going on? And she's like, um, I'm like, am I getting fired? And she's like, um, he wants to see you in there. Chuck, I blacked out. Like I, I blacked oh. out. I mean, it was a fleeting moment, but it was just like an out of body experience where it was like, oh my God, oh my mm-hmm. God, it's happening. And so like that feeling, while I can't relate to a mass layoff or anything at a bigger company, that it sinks your stomach. It really gives you a massive gut punch. And then you start to try to reconcile how Mm -hmm. to course correct the situation. What do you do next? And you seem like a very pragmatic person who also has a lot of empathy to be able to not only recognize that other people are going through this because you are, 
first of all, which is also very different than like the hierarchy in a tech company, because it's mm -hmm. like, we don't care. It doesn't affect us. It's just like, it doesn't matter. Right. And so just to have that empathy, whether it's with users, whether it's with people who are in your same situation, I feel is really admirable and important to note because these are the things that help create significant change in society mm. is by promoting the proliferation of important details that people might not otherwise find. And I feel like your ability to not only do that from the technical perspective to do the digging and all of that, but to come on shows like this and be able to speak to it. So you're raising awareness just sheer, like by having the conversation. And so I really appreciate that because I've been unemployed at points in times in my life where you start to feel hopeless. In fact, right mm -hmm. before I got my job at Amazon was when I lost that other job and I had just bought a house. I had just bought a new car. Oh and... yeah. We had just bought a house too. Cause that's, that's how it happens. Mm -hmm. <laughs> then you just, you kind of start to question every decision that you've made. It feels a bit like a tidal wave of everything that you had feels like it's sort of been ripped away. And so mm -hmm. these programs that you're talking about, it sounds like they, the intention behind them, at least to some degree is to help you land on your feet, to not hit rock solid ground, but to be able to say, hey, if you have the ambition and the desire, we want you to start a business. This is good for mm -hmm. you, good for our economy. This is an opportunity that could be win-win, provided everybody has the best of intentions here. So mm -hmm. can you tell me a little bit more about your experience going through that and ultimately getting to the place where you were able to benefit from that and what sort of the trajectory of that with your business growth has been like? Yeah. Uh, the thing that comes to mind is, is every time I tell somebody about this program, they think, oh, it must be really hard to get accepted. And I say no. And I send them my application, which is, you know, at best a stream of consciousness business plan that is very vague and they approved me. And so I think, especially when you're in that layoff state, I was feeling humiliated. I was feeling like, oh no, am I human garbage? You know? And so when you're in that state, for me, it can compound and make me think like, well, that's never going to work or, oh, well, no one's ever going to approve me for that. Or I'm sure other people can get in, but not me because I'm disabled or whatever. And um, one of the things I found out through walking a friend with a documented disability through the program is that you don't even have to do the full 40 hours a week if you have a documented disability and you could still get approved for the full program. You know, I really appreciate you sharing that because I was going to ask, this is where I feel this is such an interesting conversation for me to have, Chuck, because I did spend time in HR tech. So mm -hmm. having the awareness of accessibility overall with software and because I had to do a lot of product work on the candidate experience, which meant working with people in compliance to implement new forms and whatever they needed to have to be mm -hmm. regulated and let alone in different countries and all of the privacy laws and things like that there. And so that's something that I think a lot of people don't necessarily understand too, is the amount of things that should be done to accommodate mm -hmm. people with disabilities that are not done. And I feel like what you're describing too is when it comes to employment, it's difficult to self-identify as someone with a disability because for me, I think about this, um, I have ADHD and going to an interview or, or having to do a presentation of some kind and asking for an accommodation makes me feel like I'm going to be judged or it's going to- Or you can actively be punished for it. Yeah, yeah. Like what's the consequence of doing that from your perspective? related to that disability, how different was the experience? Was it something that felt like that's the right thing to do because it's being authentic about the circumstance and having this documented disability? Or did it feel like it created more barriers to getting through the process? Because I feel like sometimes in attempting to accommodate it, it creates more complexities. What's interesting is I didn't disclose a disability, but I walked someone through who did. Mm -hmm. So they let me know what their experience was so I could mm -hmm. tell other people. And so they were afraid that if they disclosed their disability, because one of the requirements is you have to do 40 hours a week of work on your business. And she was like, I can't do that. Is that okay? And they were like, oh yeah, absolutely. Just check this form. So they made it really, really easy for her, but it is scary to disclose because you don't know if you're going to get rejected and then you've just sort of outed yourself. And the thing I wanted to say about why I compiled the difficult to find links is for accessibility reasons. Because if you have 
ADHD or any other fatigue disorder like I do, sometimes just a little bit of friction is all it takes to shake you off course. And anybody who got laid off, who wants to start a business, I believe deserves this resource. And if the people whose job it is to make it accessible to you aren't doing it, I'm going to do that. (laughs) I don't care. Uh, It costs me two hours of my life and I'm going to do it. (laughs) And I think that's also a juice is worth the squeeze sort of moment, you know, Mm -hmm. to be able to understand that even if just one person benefits from this conversation that we're having right now, that two hours worth of work was worth it at an Mm -hmm. hourly rate, at least. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Well, I really do believe in that rising tide lifts all boats. And I just want to see more people in my community empowered with information and with money to realize their dreams. Because I've spent so much of my life thinking that'll never happen to me. I can never have a good life. And now that I feel differently, I just want to give that to as many people as possible. That's such an amazing perspective, Chuck. I really feel like your personal enlightenment comes through so clearly. When I think about the way that you want to help people, especially when you were speaking to that feeling of being re-traumatized, recognizing how your PTSD, your CPTSD affects the way that you live your life today and wanting to be able to navigate that instead of staying stuck in it, I feel is really important. And this might be a little bit of a tangent, but I think it comes full circle into the conversation because dealing with PTSD is something that is really challenging in general. It is exacerbated in my experience when you have to work and manage that because you are talking, as you mentioned, about self-limiting beliefs. I'm not good enough, I can't achieve what I want to achieve, Uh, maybe I'm stuck, or I don't deserve success, whatever it might be. And so we all inherently, I believe, or at least most people inherently have some of those insecurities. We grow up with a feeling of inadequacy in some way or another, whether that is a big feeling that we have or a small feeling. The fear of rejection or inadequacy, I I do believe, is relatively just a human experience. Mm -hmm. And so to be able to acknowledge that and be objective about it in addition to working with the fact that you understand your own trauma is to me such an admirable thing because I was doing work every single day as I was being traumatized and being like, I have to keep my job. I need to keep going. And what people don't realize, I believe, if they don't experience PTSD or some sort of anxiety or depressive disorder is that it really can be that difficult to get Mm -hmm. out of bed, to function, to have the clarity of thought, to be Mm -hmm. able to deliver the value that you know you can. It compounds these feelings that you already have with an inability potentially to execute because of your circumstances, whether that's mentally, emotionally, physically, Mm -hmm. whatever it might be. So could you maybe share if you're comfortable a little bit more about how you've learned to work through those things as you are building a business, as you are trying to create more for those who are in your community? Because I think combined with those limiting beliefs, it can be a real it's stifling we stifle ourselves a bit and i think some of it's maybe self-inflicted and i think some of it is just the nature of the beast yeah i think it's been a process for me especially since becoming a parent to accept that i am finite and to get better at listening to my body when it says hey can we take a bath instead of continuing to work i feel like there were many years that i saw my body as a tool that owed me productivity And so I was really abusive to my own body. And it wasn't until I got really hurt a couple of times, which I now understand is related to this genetic disorder. It's Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. It means I get injured more easily. I get dislocations more easily. It's harder for me to build muscle. And I also don't, my calibration of where I am in physical space is a couple inches off. So I'm clumsy because I literally don't know where I am in physical space. Um, so I didn't know that for a long time. And so I just thought I was human garbage. I just thought, why are you such a lazy piece of crap? Why can't you get out of bed? It was really, really unkind to myself and really beat myself up mentally and physically to try to meet the expectations of, I, I guess, capitalism at the end of the day. And it took a lot of compassion and honestly, like the humility of being kind of grounded by this disorder to have to 
basically either listen to my body or continue hurting so much. And I, I don't really know exactly what the breakthrough moment was for me, but there was a time that I realized I was so sorry for how hard I had been on my body and how I had not seen it as a partner or like an equal entity almost. And so I, I, I ended up spending a lot of time doing like self-massage and like using food in a nourishing way to try to like rebuild my body. But it's a slow process and there's still times I'm really frustrated when I get tired and I want to accomplish something. And when you're working for yourself, it's, sometimes there's a lot more on the line. So, you know, it's that whole healing isn't linear thing, but, but yeah, I feel like my, I had to change my relationship from thinking about my, almost myself, honestly, as a instrument that has to perform to more of like a, a gift that should be taken good care of. I don't know if that's part of getting older or what, or becoming a parent, but it's, it's somehow I've arrived here. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I can attest to that feeling despite not having children, that feeling of being finite, that feeling of, is my body failing me, you know, really wanting to care more because when I was younger, I felt very invincible and mm -hmm. not that I was incredibly careless, but I certainly wasn't as careful and I wasn't as proactive. And, you know, now you get into that stage of, I don't want to be reactive because that means I've waited too long. So I think when it comes to any sort of physical issues or mental disorders, I don't even really like calling them disorders, but it, it's like experiences. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Mental health issues of any kind, really having to give ourselves grace, which is a term that I really hated for a while when people mm -hmm. would say this to me, give yourself grace. I'm like, fuck off. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> not me. <laughs> no, kindly fuck off. And, you know, it took me a while to get to a place where I could say very similarly to you, it's okay to rest. It's okay to listen to my body and trust myself and know that the reason I need to do this is so I can be more productive. It's stopping now for a few minutes or a few hours doesn't prevent me from doing the work entirely. In fact, if I burn myself out, there's a better chance that I'm going to end up curled in fetal position in the corner, weeping about how I didn't get anything done. And mm -hmm. my partner and I were literally just talking about this the other day because she's an entrepreneur. She's run her own business for about 12 years almost. And I'm diving deeper into that world. And we just keep talking about, we have so many ideas. How do you execute on everything? How do you get everything done? And I was like, you know what? I just need to product manage my life. I need to prioritize what is the value effort matrix? Like where, where do I need mm -hmm. to really focus my energy? You just become so overwhelmed. And I find that especially because I have ADHD, that's even more debilitating because my, my desire is to focus on the things, but I will pick the thing that I like more and not the thing that needs to get done. And so we were joking around about doing a TikTok around to any accountants, lawyers, insurance brokers who need to send me forms or paperwork to complete. Here's what we need you to do. We need you to tell us how many steps there are. We need you to tell us how much time we have to complete them. And we need to, you to tell us how long, generally speaking, you expect it to take because I will avoid that shit like the plague for mm -hmm. as long as humanly possible and just continue to build that anxiety about the anticipation of the shit that I don't want to do. And when I think about you describing finding this unemployment benefit for entrepreneurs, that's mm -hmm. exactly the feeling that I get. It's like, oh my God, I have to do all this legwork to just get something very basic done. And the turnaround time on things can also be super slow sometimes. So then you feel like mm -hmm. you're making all this effort and it's hurry up and wait. And that's something that I'm sure also being in tech, you're quite familiar with. It's like, get it done now. And they're like, actually, Mm -hmm. Thanks for rushing it, but we don't need it anymore. Do this instead. And you're like, cool. It only yeah. compromised my overall well-being, but we're good. <laughs> yeah. Don't mind me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's something that it sometimes makes me feel like I'm not good at adulting, but in reality, I feel like what you're saying just kind of it's that conversation that we were having, which is it shouldn't be that difficult. Things should be able to be more simplified. And especially when it comes to complex language and things around employment law that a lot of people aren't going to be well-versed in. Even just the conversations we're having around accessibility and accommodations, I guarantee you somebody who does not have a career in any sort of space like that or has not worked on a product or something akin to or service akin to that, that they don't know because they don't need to know. And it's harder to get things to become more available when people 
don't feel connected to the problems that other people are facing. And that gets back to sort of this whole concept in general of leadership, not having that same sense of empathy for a user or a client or a patient or whomever it might be. And so do you feel like for yourself, because you've spoken about being a parent a few times, do you feel like part of your energy and empathy to help other people grew when you became a parent because you saw it as wanting to also create a better world for your child? I think there's some of that, but I think it's actually more the fact that I had to, I guess it like it's like a complete reshuffle of your priorities where I was like, okay, I have two hours per day that are, that belong to me. What am I going to do with those two hours? And so now when I have those two hours, I make the most of them. Whereas before I had a kid, I would have these dreams, but I would be like, well, I have forever to get this done. And instead I'm like, I have exactly 16 minutes and I am going to write this email. It helped me focus. I think also getting appropriately medicated and appropriate therapy for a lot of my like ADHD, CPTSD, other stuff. I really prioritize recovery from, or at least management in a way that I didn't before I had a child because I didn't have a reason to, but I was not willing to compromise her experience in the way that my experience was compromised as a child of traumatized people. Mm -hmm. Um, So I really prioritized EMDR therapy, getting medicated, getting therapy. And that I think broadly has elevated me to almost have higher standards for myself than when I was just taking care of me. And I haven't shared this in this podcast, but I had my daughter alone. I went through the pregnancy alone. I went through the birth alone. I went through the postpartum period alone. And I didn't have a partner until she was two years old. Um, and that was extremely challenging uh, in a lot of ways. And really, and then, you know, throw a pandemic on top of that was, oh, it man. was awful. It was incredible. It was oh. like drowning. It was like drowning for months and not being allowed to die. It was so hard. And I don't think I can ever explain to people how hard that was. Like truly. Thank you for but, sharing that. Yeah. Because I can't imagine just that entire experience and then piling on the pandemic. It really gives perspective to, for someone who I'm actively childless as a lesbian, there's this part of me that wants to really acknowledge both your vulnerability and sharing that, so thank you, and also the strength and resilience to be able to work through that because the fact that you are, you just labeled like a big chunk of information that would drastically impact anybody. But now you layer in the fact that you are, you've been prioritizing your recovery and I've done EMDR. It is fun. (laughs) No. And it's heavy. It's really Mm -hmm. heavy. I remember coming out of some sessions where I would feel physically like I got hit by a Mack truck because of the emotional load that I was working through. And Mm -hmm. this was the hardest period in my life to go to work and to be productive because for me after those sessions like i just literally wanted to go to sleep i felt Mm -hmm. like my body has been drained of all energy i can't do this so for you to be doing that have a child on your own and now you have to care for the baby and now there's a pandemic and so you're tired you're physically emotionally exhausted you're already dealing with a fatigue disorder and you're still actively working on your recovery like People don't see this. This is such a great example of you just never know what somebody's going through. No, Mm -hmm. more often than not, there are so many different moving pieces in our stories that people can't understand. We come on shows or we have conversations where we talk about this one point in our life and these other sort of these details that are significant, but they they're they're supporting details in a lot of the narrative. And what Mm -hmm. I love that you've shared is that it's this intersection of all of those things in life that also showed you the strength that you have. And I'm sure that your daughter, what a beautiful thing for her to be able to have you as a parent to see that strength embodied. And I mean, I got, I learned a lot of that from my mother who had a really, really challenging upbringing and had a lot of, you know, things against her. And it was watching her move through her healing as a parent where I started getting into, um, you know, meditation, yoga, um, even crystals and color therapy. It's sort of like whatever it is that makes that day bearable, Mm. try it, try anything. So my mom tried everything. And so I just, you know, I was a bookworm and very unpopular in my small hometown. So I just spent a lot of time with her books. (laughs) And uh, so I, I think it was inspiration from her that got me 
to see that it is possible to heal after incredibly, incredibly difficult hardship. And that is, again, part of why I care so much about what I do that I really don't care about making money. It is truly about trying to show someone that it's possible. Like for me, I've been inspired by other people who have pushed through the dirt to get there. If I can see that someone else has done it, I know that there is something within my human heart that can push me as long as I also let it be human and let it rest. But it's all, it's all those people who've inspired me that make me want to reach the people who haven't been reached yet or share the message that hasn't been shared. And that's part of why I want to empower more people with backgrounds similar to mine to take up space and tell their stories and become leaders and join product development teams and change the products so that they're actually accessible for all people. Because if only able-bodied, privileged people are running the tech industry, they're not making products for people. It's just not acceptable to me. So that's why I'm making business advice for other people so they can use it because I don't want them to feel othered and marginalized while they're trying to better their lives. I want them to feel connected and empowered and motivated. I love that, Chuck. I really do. I, your energy is so great and your perspective just really warms my soul because it just shows that people are so community-based, you know, and the common thread that comes up in so many of these conversations that I have, and I had really was able to acknowledge this after doing the first two seasons, the power of the human spirit is really special. And that connects us all in a way that regardless of differences, like people who are uninformed, ignorant, angry, mm -hmm. painful, it doesn't matter because there is still a common thread. You might be like a total shit human. Okay. That tells me that you don't know enough. And I feel like part of this conversation is also to expose the incidents of people who are going through this because the last I read, and this was a couple months ago, so I assume it's probably still fairly accurate is like 17% of the world would qualify as disabled. And that is not a small number when you're talking about billions. We, like you said, we marginalize these things because it doesn't grab the attention in the same way, but there's no reason that it shouldn't. And the best thing that I can even equate to, which it's not to say this is a disability, but it's more just perspective on recognizing a limitation because the world's created for people other than mm -hmm. when it comes to physical abilities to do things, I'm left-handed. It shouldn't be like, it's not a disability, right? But how many things in this world are made for right-handed people? I literally had to go out and buy a universal can opener because I couldn't use the one that we have because it's made for right-handed people. And my partner's like, what do you mean you can't use it? You just do this. And I was like, I always fucking put it on backwards and it doesn't work this way. It's not made for this. I've learned to do a lot of things with my right. <laughs> I've learned to do a lot of things with my right hand. That doesn't sound weird at all. <laughs> That'll be the quote for the episode. <laughs> right. And it's like, are you curious? Come join us for the conversation. And so I, uh, you know, living in a world where I was forced to be ambidextrous gave me perspective on what it means to not have accommodations to certain things. It's very easy to have an out of sight, out of mind mentality is what all that rambling is to say. And mm -hmm. when people are dealing with mental or physical issues that are quote unquote invisible, then who is advocating for those people, if not the people who are dealing with it. And it's exhausting to self-advocate. I do it every day. I did it all the time in my corporations. And it's harder to do it in a corporation, I found, because you do get penalized for it, or you do get asked to be quiet. Or, and at least in some of the corporations I've worked in, versus in my own life, I can create my own accommodations and I'm not limited. And if I don't like something as, a, as an entrepreneur, then I just don't do it. I don't, you know, I still have to pay taxes and stuff like that, but, but there's a lot of things that I can just opt out of, you know, that also, by the way, though, I heard if you are a cis white male who claims to be a billionaire, you don't have to pay taxes. Oh, I could pass. Well, in a couple of years, maybe <laughs> I'm working on this uh, goatee. So maybe, maybe right, by tax season next time, <laughs> next time we chat, we'll see how, how well it's grown in. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. There was something I wanted to say earlier. You had asked about like, turning adverse experiences into things that you decide to do. And it made me think about my relationship to my art, which has always been, uh, I think this comes through in my poetry the most. If something bad happened to me, it's almost like I have to make something good out of it so that it's not a net loss. And so whenever something bad happens to me or something frustrates me or something happens to someone I care about, it's like, I have to 
either empower someone to make the solution or make the solution myself because I can't exist in a world where that problem continues to hurt more people after me. And I don't know why that's how I'm configured, but whether it's through art or technology, I'm going to try to fix it. I love that so much. And I relate to that too. I had, despite a lot of things in the last relationship that I was in being very messed up, there were a lot of things that were unfolding with my ex that required me to become informed about trauma, which incidentally helped has helped me heal after the fact. Mm -hmm. But it was really hard for me to witness certain things that were happening and feel like, okay, if sexual assault is just so, I mean, it's so prolific. I mean, I dove headfirst into oh my God. All, yeah. all of the statistics. I'm in therapy and I'm like, okay, I gotta, I think I, I think, I think I'm trying to solve a global problem that is at a scale that is far too large and mm -hmm. could have been solved by one person. I imagine it would have been by now. So mm -hmm. like take a deep breath and don't take on all of that responsibility, you know? That's hard. Yeah, because I, I feel like we're similar in that you do lead from that place of empathy. And when you do that, it's very hard to witness suffering. And Ugh. it's worse when you know what suffering is like and you're witnessing it too, because then it's like, as an empathetic person, you're already inherently inclined to feel that discomfort knowing that somebody else is suffering. But like you said earlier, when you're re-traumatized by it because you're witnessing it and you know the pain of that, mm -hmm. it really just elevates that feeling of, I have to do something about this. I need to advocate, I need to create, I need to make meaningful change. Mm -hmm. And when you look at the work that you've done for your business coming out of these layoffs, you're prioritizing people for all the reasons that you mentioned, but you're also saying, come on, black sheep, let's gather and create our mm -hmm. own flock almost, you know? Well, it's funny you say that because I'm actually, I just finished the page for a community I'm building called the Magical Weirdo Community. And it's just a place where everyone else can come and brainstorm and have friends because building a business online when you're weird is actually really lonely. And so that's, that's the problem I'm trying to solve now. Yeah, I love that. And my partner said to me, it, it's hard because you don't have the social aspect. She like has to actively force herself to be social prior to meeting me because it was just, if she could work, she was working, you know, you just mm -hmm. do what you need to do. You get into the zone and you forego these other relationships that can also be beneficial. Now she has a healthy group of friends and support and social life, but it does require that personal decision in a moment to say, I'm going to put this down and I'm going to go prioritize that. So when you can find people mm -hmm. to fit your rhythm and make sense to you, whether that's virtually or in person, it's that sense of connectivity and sense of camaraderie that mm -hmm. really gives us a chance to speak freely, show up fully. And like you said, just kind of be those magical weirdos like you. I spent a lot of my life feeling like I, I just don't fit in. And mm -hmm. I didn't own it as much as it sounds like you did. I was like, well, I don't know. I just Hi. like, I'm, I'm not yeah. sure it work, I guess. And once you can step into that part of yourself that really does feel fulfilled by your own ability to heal, to grow, to create relationships, opportunities for yourself, it changes your self-perception as well. And mm -hmm. to circle back to what you had said about, I'm just like, team and dirt, like I can't get anything done. Like, why would this be of value to people? What do you th think is an important message to share with people who are struggling to get past that sense of inadequacy and who maybe have that either fear of failure or feel of, fear of rejection? I think it does come up a lot, imposter syndrome or whatever you want to call it, especially I find for people who don't have a lot of role models that look like us being successful. I think that is, is challenging. Um, the thing that I can only speak for what works for me, I guess, is I think about paying it backward. And so I think, okay, if there's anyone who would benefit from this, it's me three months ago. And I know that somewhere in all of the internet, there's someone who is where I was three months ago. So at least they're going to appreciate it. Like maybe, you know, maybe Elon Musk doesn't need it. Maybe all these people on Twitter don't need it. But maybe this one human being who is exactly where I was three months ago will benefit from this little tidbit. It helps me too to take tiny bites to do little things. Because when I try to accomplish something massive, it's really overwhelming. But if I'm like, I'm just gonna make a TikTok that makes somebody's day better, you know? That's one piece of momentum. And then if you keep making a habit of adding to a conversation or to a community, it gets easier, I think, to keep going, even on the days that it feels like you're not having an impact.
I totally agree with that. And it's funny that you said, even if it's just making a TikTok, because that was literally three of our days this week, we were like, we have not posted a TikTok in two weeks. This is stupid. It's so easy two to weeks. do. We're like, why are we not doing it? And I feel like we, we put all this pressure on ourselves to deliver all of the value right away. We see it as I either deliver everything or nothing at all. That's not helpful for anyone because it makes us feel overwhelmed, like you said, and it also fails to create a consistent rhythm for people who are looking toward you for that content, whether it's humorous, whether it's insightful, whether it's educational. And what I think is really important to call out about what you said too is we create those barriers for ourselves. So we also have the ability to rip them down and rebuild and restructure how we think about things. And I literally said to my partner, my goal in 2023 is to find a way to reduce my anxiety around getting undesirable tasks done. Mm. And it's very vague in sort of how that gets executed. Do you have any tips you've found either useful or completely ineffective potentially? I've really gotten into this scientific method space where I'm like, ah, I'm going to test a hypothesis. And that way I'm never attached to the outcome. I'm like, what would happen if I do this for one week? And then I'm either like, wow, what a catastrophic failure. I just learned that this piece of advice is actually garbage. And I can make a post about how this piece of advice doesn't work for every business. Or, oh my gosh, it actually worked. Like, it actually worked. I'm going to do it again. And can I iterate? So I think having coming from a place of curiosity rather than expectation is really helpful for me in terms of, um, you know, what the outcome is. Like I had to start weightlifting to manage my EDS and I didn't know if I was going to get hurt. I got really strong on top hurt my legs. So now I learned from that, got to take the legs on a break, can keep lifting on top. And then I can go back to the legs with more information about how not to hurt them. But I'm not going to stop working out because I hurt myself. And you know, what we were saying too, about little bits, start with little experiments. And at least the way my brain works is I just get so much do dopamine from fucking around and finding out like that's all I want to do. And the other thing I wanted to say when you were talking about the limitations and stuff, my mantra for that is everything's made up. Everything's made up, including what things cost. People pay $300,000 for JPEGs of monkeys. So if you want to charge $5,000 for a website, that's very reasonable. If you want to charge $10,000 for a website, that's very reasonable. Just remember that people assign value to things arbitrarily based on how much they have. So make it up. <laughs> you I, don't I have to justify that. it. <laughs> no, it's perfect advice too, because I think about this often. This could be an entire episode in and of itself going down the rabbit hole of how money's not real. Mm -hmm. We won't do that today. I do think that's important though, when it comes to valuing yourself. And it's hard because as somebody who has worked in tech for a long time, but I graduated during the recession in 2008 and mm -hmm. like I had a film degree. So I can tell you a little something about not having money, mm -hmm. finding mm -hmm. ways to understand what I was capable of that would also give me a paycheck that allowed me to live an adequate and safe life was it was an experience. It required me to do different things. It required me to make decisions that maybe I wasn't comfortable with or felt were short-term decisions that just needed to happen at least to get me over that hump. And mm -hmm. when we stick ourselves in this bucket of this is what I'm capable of. And so that's where I draw the line. It creates this belief within ourselves that that glass ceiling is there, that inability to sort of transcend any past version of ourself doesn't exist. And in reality, it's just this constant evolution. So you need to be open-minded to what other options are out there. And I do feel like your thoughts around the scientific method and being very experimental is so smart because it takes this personal obligation out of it, it's almost like you can do this more objectively. You can be more pragmatic because you're not saying, if this doesn't work, I failed. You're saying, if this doesn't work, the experiment has failed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's helpful. Blame it on the experiment. Well, and then you can iterate. You can be like, well, what if I change these variables? Yeah. And I hope that other nerds are listening because I think this is valuable. <laughs> Yeah. Well, Chuck, I feel like this has been such a great conversation and I could uh, honestly just keep talking to you and learning more about you and your perspective and your life. You have a really beautiful soul with such strong, positive intentions for the world that my hope is this episode resonates with people who maybe are feeling lost 
in their career or even just with who they are as a person and seeing, you know, the opportunities that there are in front of us. And that if you have been laid off, if you are jobless for whatever reason right now, look into the things that you can do. Check out resources that might be able to help you, especially if you're an entrepreneur. Are there opportunities for you to create a business for yourself? And whether it starts as a side hustle or you can dive in full time, be honest with yourself about what it is that you want out of life and find a way to get there. Don't feel like your potential is limited to where you are right now, because I think both you and I can attest to the fact that we've felt like we don't have maybe the life that we want or the career that we want in making us feel fulfilled. And the only way to get out of that is to acknowledge that you don't want to be there and you have the power to change it for yourself. With that being said, is there anything that you want to close out the conversation with for people who are either experiencing layoffs right now or budding entrepreneurs or possibly both? I guess the tidbit I want to offer, especially to people who are thinking about starting a business is what's one tiny thing that you are both compelled to do and terrified to do? And what is the smallest version of that you could do today? Because I dare you to do that. I appreciate that advice, Chuck. You've been truly, truly a delight. I really love speaking with you. You can find Chuck's website at identitypending.com. And I believe is magicalweirdos.com also a website? Uh, magicalweirdo.com is where everything is migrating to. And all of my socials are magicalweirdochuck. If you want to find me, I'm given given spicy business tips and uh, hot takes about tools every day. Perfect. I love that. And Chuck, if there's the opportunity to chat again, please just know that I am 100% down for it. I, I would love to have more conversations and I will definitely be uh, signing up for the Magical Weirdo community because I feel Ooh. like I've met some of my people already. That's so exciting. Well, thank you. I, I really appreciate what you're doing and I can't wait to hear the rest of the episodes this season. Yeah, absolutely. I'm super stoked and I feel like this is just going to be a great year for both of us. So keep on plugging along and um, more power to you for being a parent to a young child <laughs> while you're doing it because I really, really applaud anybody who can operate with a tiny human's life in your hands and also still be so driven and moving forward with your career in that way and also helping others. You're doing just really important work and I feel like there's something really magical that's going to come out of it. Thank you. I'll try my best. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Who the Fuck. And if you like what you hear, share the show with your friends, family, coworkers, or anyone else you think needs a healthy dose of introspection and raw authenticity. Feel free to rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. It's always appreciated. And you can also visit whothefck.com to check out more content. Plus, you can follow me on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at whothefck underscore pod to keep up to date with what's new in my world and for exclusive bonus content. Catch you on the flip side. Hey there, I'm DC. I host the Rock Podcast, Back to the Arena, The Interviews. It's about a 30-minute podcast where I talk one-on-one -on -one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock fan like me, subscribe today to Back to the Arena, The Interview. Electric Acid. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electric Acid Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electric Cast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electricast Podcasts and hear the culture. Electricast.